Cheers to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to The Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed about having a Star Trek podcast. I'm Adam Pranica. I'm Ben Harrison. Ben, I have a topic for the Marin. <laughs> this is so great because I was I had a lot of anxiety about the Marin today. Well, I think a lot like uh, a comic professional, you've got to go out into the world to get your material, right? Yeah, you got to go... Gotta go take a premise walk from time to time. That's what that's called. I, I had a an entire premise evening a while ago. <laughs> I went to a rock concert put on by uh, by friend of the show and third host of the hit podcast Friendly Fire, yeah! John Roderick. I went out two nights in a row, Ben. Whoa. T- two, two rock concerts in a row because he did a Friday-Saturday uh, engagement at a great venue in Seattle. Is that a, like, I'm, I, I barely ever go see live performances of music, but I, I know that there's a culture of people that, like, want to go see every engagement an act they like does in their area and then compare set lists and stuff. Is that something that you're into or? No, I'm not a completist like that, but this was a pretty rare thing because John was playing with the first significant band that he had in Seattle, and it was a band that that broke up badly and was, I mean, there's a whole mythology about Western state hurricanes that that you could make a documentary about even if you wanted to. Oh, yeah. (laughs) The documentary does not go well, Enterprise. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So so it was a compelling case for seeing both nights of the show and I was was happy to do it. And, And I... I mean, not to cut to the end, but I'm really glad I did. I thought the shows were awesome. Nice. But were you rolling or were you just there for fun? No, I was there as a civilian, which is great. Like I watched, like other people shot it, which is a delight. I mean, you and I have talked about this before, how much we enjoy video production uh, now that we're not doing it. Yeah. As, <laughs> yeah. as spectators, it's it's the best. Yeah. When I when I see an event videographer in particular, I uh, that is the hardest videography there is just because there's it absolutely is because there's always the next thing that you got to run and go get and you know the event's not going to stop for you so the stakes are super high and uh yeah i have a a special place in my heart for the folks that that uh do that work yeah solidarity to all our our friends of desoto who are also event videographers anyway something happened to me in the first five minutes of getting to the first of the two shows uh-huh. that I'm wondering if this has ever happened to you because, and I, I am, believe me, I'm using this term incredibly loosely. Like it needs a belt and suspenders. We're newly famous, Ben. To the <laughs> and it makes being in public a little different, especially at an event like this where like there's a lot of crossover interest between those that like, what John does and those who like what we do. I mean, sharing a show with him is part of the reason for that. Right. So I arrive at the show. I'm with some friends. We're uh, we're watching the music. We're having fun. And the very first thing that happens to me when I enter the room is uh, someone I don't know walks up to me and says, I'm going to buy you a drink. Welcome to the Wow. No kidding. That is not how I took it, Ben. Mistakes were made. <laughs> 
I forgetting myself entirely in this moment. Like I, I size this person up and I look him square in the eyes and I say, Why? Welcome to the good life. <laughs> Which is so stupid. Like I need to, I need to know that I need to assume what that's about. And after a moment, this person explained like he really liked what we do. He liked our shows, wanted to just uh, pay me a kindness. Yeah. Give me a drink at the show, which was like super nice. I think it's very hard to imagine that somebody says that they want to do something like that and really means it, though. Yeah. Yeah. And so this was the first of a number of that kind of interaction that I... I believe and hope that I got better at as the night went on and as both nights went on. Like there were a lot of friends of DeSoto there. Wow, that's super cool. That came up and said hi. Uh, all of them sweet. Every, like to a person, they were awesome. But I am still up in my head about that first interaction. And this Marin might be aimed at an audience of one, <laughs> but like, I'm really sorry I reacted that way. And I was not... That was just an unexpected thing out of nowhere. Yeah. That that I was not prepared to contend with in that moment. And like I learned from that experience and I and what I did rightly or wrongly was assumed that everyone who came up to me was a fan and liked me for what I did. <laughs> <laughs> Which really does wonders for the kind of social anxiety that I have in large groups of people. Like it sort of flipped the switch. It was a it was it ended up being a good thing in the long run, but in that one specific moment, I'm afraid it might have been a bad thing for that person who tried to do something nice. So yeah. to whoever that was, I want to apologize. And to everyone else who came and, and said something nice or or tried to and eventually did buy me a drink, uh, thanks. That was That was a good evening among friends. That's cool. I have not had a ton of experiences like that, but that's you're basically entering the hot zone when you're at a John Roderick related thing, I, right. I suppose. Yeah. I mean, like, I don't assume when I walk out of my house and down the street to go to the grocery store, I'm going to run into a friend of DeSoto. But out in the world, it's happened. I got, uh, I ran into a friend of DeSoto on my flight back from France a couple of months ago. Like, yeah, it, it does. It does happen. I mean, like when there start to be tens of thousands of listeners to something, I suppose the the odds just go up a little bit. It's so much more shocking when you work in an audio medium, though. Like right. that was part of the surprise of the whole thing. Like I didn't expect to be recognized. <laughs> yeah. I go back and think, think about our uh, tour posters that are mm. often – centered around the premise of one or the other of us is nearly nude and uh, <laughs> yeah, if I mean, we were I was, making good choices back then you know i was fully clothed at these shows so yeah i don't know what they were going on yeah like uh th it doesn't seem like if you're not in justice wear yeah rocking knuck uh, yeah you would be immediately recognizable but apparently you are one thing that david letterman said about being a celebrity has stuck with me over the years since he retired, which was the upside to being famous at his level is that the world feels like his neighborhood. Right. And in a very, very small way, that's what it felt like going to these rock shows. That was, uh, that was really fun. Yeah. That's a, uh, I mean, that's a level of fame that I don't think that we're at risk of getting to. 
But no, not at all. But but at a Seattle rock show with a specific performer, like yeah. I think that is going to be uh, a consequence. Yeah, weird. And it was fun. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, really fun. And now I'm moving away from the possibility of that ever happening again. So. Yeah. So, so that's uh, yeah, great. unique moment that will never repeat. And and just to that one friend of DeSoto who came up to Adam on Adam's behalf, I am so sorry. <laughs> Did I not sufficiently apologize? I just want to I just want to make sure that it's clear that I'm also sorry. <laughs> I know I know if there's an opportunity for you to apologize, you'll take it. So I feel everyone's guilt as though it is my own. <laughs> Yeah, so hopefully uh, that's that can be instructive uh, to you at some point, Ben, and to anyone else who is maybe struggling with a a change in social status. Yeah, why maybe might not be the the best first thing to say when uh, when someone tries to be nice to you, <laughs> but it's also just fucking perfect. Like I I could not just accept someone's kindness without scrutinizing it. Yeah, you're under a lot of stress right now, man. Don't beat yeah. yourself up too much. It's uh, I I feel like this was therapeutic to talk it out with you. So good, good. Uh, it's it's over and done now. Well, I think there's a bunch of other characters in the series that we are reviewing right now that need therapy. Adam, do you want to <laughs> uh, do you want to get into some of those issues? Yeah, nice pivot into episode Ben. Let's go ahead and get into Deep Space Nine, season six, episode three, Sons. And daughters? Do you realize how incredible this is? <laughs> no, of course you don't. This episode opens up with uh, some hot makeouts between Worf and Jedzia. You can tell this is still a new relationship because they're doing the makeout against the wall. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Pushing her up against it. If you get aroused... And you're a Klingon, and then and then you're unable to finish. Do you have four blue balls? <laughs> I don't know. Do they have four balls, or do they have I'm two go- balls that are ducted into hmm. two dicks? Into two dicks. I mean, this is a great question. What we need is a is some more Star Trek sexual anatomy. Yeah, we need a uh, you know like ne- next season of Discovery. Hopefully, they show a Klingon penetrating someone and we we get that shot from behind where we see the yeah. balls swinging and we can we can establish what number of balls there are we need the acudogram poster on the klingon ships sick bay wall that just shows like <laughs> the the anatomy the sexual anatomy of a klingon <laughs> that'd be great yeah, this makeout session is interrupted by Cisco. Cisco to Dax. They're getting back to Starbase 375. So no no sex will be taking place. Which I mean I I had kind of done the math because we're on a Kling we're obviously on a Klingon ship, but you're not hearing any uh chains dragging or or <laughs> banging sounds. So it just it didn't seem like it was on the table from a mood uh, yeah, standpoint. I felt the same way. Especially with how the last episode ended. Like, you remember the last scene of the last episode? We're on the planet surface. Mm-hmm. And then we cut to this ship. Yeah. I feel like we, we missed part of that story, but I guess I guess we can make assumptions about what happened. Martok scooped him up. Yeah, there's a uh, there's brief lip service paid to that. I think Cisco's like, hey, thanks for the thanks for the assist on that. <laughs> Which of these buttons calls your parents to pick you up? Because they they'd gotten the radio from that one guy, right? From Keevan. 
from Kievan. Yeah. We need to talk about Kievan. <laughs> did we do that joke on that episode? <laughs> God, I don't think we did, but uh, got to go back for it. Yeah. Turn yeah. the pod car around and pick that one up. Just imagine if we had edited something from this episode into the last episode. <laughs> yeah. Could you even? One thing we get a little bit of here that we so rarely get is the O'Brien and Bashir conspiratorially making fun of their circumstances. Like that. Yeah. The uh, the loose O'Brien vibes from the last ep have carried over to this one in yeah. a fun way. It seems like O'Brien, maybe more than anyone, really resents getting dragged back into being at war. Yeah. I think it's mainly, it's not even as much in the writing as how Kalamini is playing O'Brien. Like, like, I thought I put all this foolishness behind me and now I'm stuck doing this again. You think they let Ben Maxwell out of prison to fight this war? <laughs> I mean, they're probably, they probably need all the captains they can get at this yeah, point. Yeah, give him a ship. He's, uh, he's really going to stick it to these guys. <laughs> yeah, probably. I, I think I would. Like, O'Brien is close with Admiral Ross. They all are. I think he could ask him a favor. Yeah. Ben Maxwell would be in there cutting Jem'Hadar heads off with his bare hands. <laughs> I think this is the only scene where we get our main crew. For the rest of the episode, we cut between DS9 and Worf on the Rotoran. Worf has remained there working for Martok. Yeah, and Martok's still on a bird of prey, like a... A surprisingly small ship for a guy that was like the head general of the Klingon Empire last season. He constantly complains about the missions he gets on the ship, but he never complains about the ship itself. And he really should, because I think that's part of the insult of this whole thing. Yeah. If he's this great hero, he should have better equipment. And a better crew. Like one of the things yeah. they're arguing about right here is they is they they need to be restaffed, and they were expecting a lot more people than the five that they're being given. Five, <laughs> I requested fifteen, and they were expecting those people to be just Klingon warriors and not four Klingon warriors and one Worf's son Alexander. Yeah. Who is majorly pissed. He is here with a chip firmly upon his armored shoulder. Alexander is different from the others in the lineup because he does not have Klingon voice. He very clearly has guy who grew up on Earth with the Roshenko's voice, you know? Mr. Worf, prepare to launch a class four probe to study the energy field. Why did Worf retain his Klingon voice? That's a great question. I guess he I had know. he had he was probably like six or seven years old when the Kittimer massacre happened. So maybe yeah. he had enough enough grounding in the culture. It's like if you learn a language when you're like ten or eleven, you'll always have an accent. But if you learn it as a kid, you might right. not. Yeah, that makes sense. This is a question that's answered later on. But I was surprised that Martak didn't recognize Alexander, no, or know who he was. At all. Martok is not the kind of boss that takes an interest in your personal life, and I can respect that. Yeah, not not the kind of boss or family member. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I mean, Weird. they talk about that a little bit, right? Like, Martok is like, Wolf, I'm hurt. Yeah. <laughs> you haven't opened up emotionally to me. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's why Martok gets the bird of prey. Like, he's just a little too... Uh, caring as a as a Klingon captain to get one of the bigger ships. Yeah, he's got a bit of a soft touch. Yeah. You you would think that Rojenko would 
would have piqued Martok's interest, right? Like, yeah. Like, Martok doesn't even do the math on that. Yeah. Does Martok know that Worf's last name is Roshenko? Clearly not. Oh, I forgot. Yeah, of course, because Earth, right. Oh, <laughs> yes. That makes sense now. Kapla! You know, I, I have all these personnel files in my head. It's... <laughs> And I'm very old. That must have been over on the right side of the piece of paper. Obviously, I don't see that well on that side. (laughs) (laughs) Back on DS9, uh, up on the balcony at Quark's, a meeting of the new resistance is taking place. And it's a very small meeting because it just involves Kira and Odo. But, uh... Only seconds pass before Jake rolls up wanting to join their resistance club. And yeah. that term is so condescending. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, is, it's, is this the resistance club meeting? Cool. He's one of the worst students we've got. Can you get Gen Ed credit for participating in this? No? Okay, well, I'm still kind of interested. Up in the balcony at Quark's, there's the reserved paper tent sign on the table up there, and it just says reserved for resistance club, in quotes. (laughs) And it's in Comic Sans, like, no one takes it seriously, and it's totally an open view. There was a kid that I went to college with. He was around for freshman year, and then, like, the first part of sophomore year, and then stopped coming to classes, and as far as anybody knew, he dropped out. And then I realized that I, I, because I was part of the uh, the comedy magazine, and when I would go to the weekly comedy magazine club meeting, I would pass the sci-fi club, and he was he still kept going to the sci-fi club after dropping out of classes. Well, you got to do that. <laughs> it's priorities, man. Can't give up that club. Yeah. Club membership not dependent on student enrollment. I guess not. Yeah. Like he could still get into the university building and and all that. I mean, if that's your support system, I think it's good that they let you keep going. But Kira and Odo look at Jake's interest with some incredulity here. And I think they're right. Like, What are you just trying to infiltrate this to write some story for your imaginary newspaper, Jake? That's exactly it. There's nothing about Jake that is trustworthy at this point. <laughs> and I think they're right to uh, to be suspicious of his motivations here. I can help. How? Quark maybe does Jake a kindness in trying to talk him out of being involved with it. If you are looking for something to do, I could use another waiter. If his mission is to consume the tea in order to write the stories, I think being a waiter might be a better angle for him to take than Resistance Club. Yeah, like if this is a bar where people are sitting around openly talking about fomenting a rebellion, like yeah. you could you could overhear a lot of shit at this bar. Quark breaks up the meeting by telling Kira that it's almost time to greet Dukat, which we are made to understand is a regular duty of hers. Every time Dukat comes back to the station, she must be there waiting. And uh, that just feels bad. Yeah, and she's supposed to get her her fancy dress on. Yeah. You look lovely just the way you are. Gold Ducat. Ducat. Gold Ducat. So, Ducat comes back and he is busting. He is very happy to see her and uh, also very happy to be rolling with a certain someone who we thought was maybe getting sent to Bajor to be put in character mothballs for mm-hmm. a big part of this season. But it's Zial. She's back. 
that should be sent to the Bajoran farm where they uh, sent Keiko to retire. <laughs> yeah, she's going to be happier there. She'll have lots yeah. of space to run around. The effervescence of Ducat and Zial here is basically maintained throughout the episode, but Demar is not feeling this way. It's a real good spoon, bad spoon situation between them. <laughs> Demar is just positively brooding throughout. Is the good spoon the, the inner spoon or the outer spoon in your estimation? I mean, I like being the, uh, the outer spoon most. Really? Yeah. Oh, because you're a coldman. I like to control the heat. Yeah. yeah. I hate yeah. I hate being outer spoon because I get too hot and then I feel like I have a social obligation to remain too hot. Oh no, see that's the thing. Like uh, it's easier to wiggle out of a snug if you're the big spoon, you get overheated, you just roll right over, but if you're the little spoon, you're stuck. Yeah. I I just know that I'm going to be disappointing if I <laughs> if I wiggle out of my my spoon duties. <laughs> Yeah. Daddy Ducat and Ziel, very, very happy. And I I almost felt like Ziel seemed like she was drunk on Ducat's Kool-Aid or something. Indeed. Like yeah. she, she has uh, much happier feelings about him than seem justified by previous interactions they've had. It didn't take much convincing. Drunk is a great description, Ben. I, I thought that she may have been drugged or otherwise uh, hypnotized or something. Yeah. It, it just seemed so out of keeping with with what we know the truth of her life to be. Yeah. I mean, there's... An interaction between Kira and Zial where Kira calls her on this and, and Zial is like, you have no idea how uncomfortable Bajor was for me. Yeah. And I wonder if just like being on a ship full of people that aren't like staring down their ridged noses at her <laughs> was enough to turn her mood around. Yeah. In some yeah, that, it's that feeling that combines relief and happiness. It's a hell of a combination. That's, that's where she's at. Yeah, I mean, like, I wondered about whether Cardassians are like that to her too, though, because, you know, we know that Cardassians have a certain natural xenophobia that can be enhanced with drugs. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, is she Cardassian enough to be that they, that they accept her as one of their own? Or are they doing the same thing as the Bajorans? She, she may be on a, a 50 milligram dose of Hitler. <laughs> Coded tablets. Consult your physician if hatred lasts longer than four hours. Right. Yeah, that's not a meme that we're asking for. <laughs> uh, just going to put that out there. I don't. I don't want to see. I don't yeah. want to see uh, pictures of medicine called Hitler in my <laughs> in my mentions. <laughs> that you're going to get muted if you do that. Yeah. Speaking of. People calling people on things. Martok does call Worf on this whole, you have a son, question mark, exclamation point thing. Yeah. It is a difficult subject to discuss. Martok wants to keep the Rotoran drama free and blood wine friendly. And <laughs> this whole relationship between Worf and Alexander is kind of breaking an essential rule. Yeah. I mean, it's a really tough story that, Worf tells. It's interesting to hear a character describe something that we have seen a lot of. Like, we saw what his relationship with Alexander was like on TNG. He's not fair. The boy is unreasonable. And we know that Alexander got sent away at some point, but it seemed like their 
relationship was trending in a really positive direction toward the end. Like there was a lot to struggle against at first. And then as Alexander grew and Worf embraced his role of fatherhood more, I felt like they uh, were starting to really move in a positive direction. And what Worf describes here is that he has not been in touch with Alexander at all for years and is basically shocked to see Alexander showing up on this ship. And to Martok's credit, he's basically like, what the fuck is wrong with you? You're yeah. a father. How could you How could you do that to your son? Say it louder. I've abandoned my child. I've abandoned my child. Both now and at the end of the episode, I think it's super clear. Worf, not a good person. And especially not a good father, I don't yeah. think. I think that uh, it's good that Worf looks back on this with some rue and some yeah. regret. Yeah. But regret is not enough. It's my favorite Bond film. <laughs> Later on, Alexander visits Worf and the father-son conversation does not go well, Enterprise. <laughs> Worf does not believe Alexander is in this for the cause. He thinks Alexander is doing this at him. Yeah. I wondered how Alexander arranged it that he would be on this ship. Did they explain that in a way that you understood? They didn't. And it seems statistically impossible that he would be assigned there out of coincidence. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the story that they should have told is like saving Private Rojenko, where <laughs> Worf is sent on a behind enemy lines mission because Alexander is marooned on some planet defending a bridge somewhere and then they they finally meet him and it's like he's like not quite what they thought i would love that story almost exactly except if you switched alexander for whoever kern turned into <laughs> like imagine the saving private ryan story where private ryan doesn't know he's private ryan <laughs> that's pretty stressful this doesn't make any sense i have no brother why would you commit all of these resources just to save me? <laughs> I'm just a humble TSA agent back on Kronos. <laughs> this is something that we could and should talk about at the end, but I think, I think whether or not you like this episode largely depends on how much you care at all about Alexander. And at this moment in time, Worf kind of doesn't. Yeah, well, if you're taking your cues from Worf about who to care about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're fucked up. I mean, this is one of those episodes also where I feel like the circumstances of story do it a bit of a disservice because they needed to get Dax back with the Starfleets and Worf mm -hmm. back with the Klingons. And so the person that can be there to hear Worf's deepest most intimate thoughts uh, yeah. is not there. And I think she would even more forcefully call him on his bullshit than Martok would. That's a really great point. And that's, that was part of what felt so uncomfortable about Martok taking such an interest in Worf's personal life. Like Martok really is playing the part of Dax here. Yeah. <laughs> Except, you know, Martok's going to finish Worf off. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, tonight's performance because of uh, sickness the role of Jedzia Dax will be performed by General Martok. <laughs> Finally, it's my time. <laughs> uh, 
Always an understudy, never a star. No more! I'll be quite honest about it, I was in a pale. I'm fucking in pale. Mr. Bucket, I have to revert back to my living state. On DS9, Kira tells Zial that she's going to have to bail on the dinner that was proposed to her early in early on in the episode uh, in the airlock. But they do get into the reason why Zial left Bajor in this scene. It's because of the of the feeling of being ostracized that you were talking about, Ben. She feels obligated to Dukat and her family in a way that that doesn't seem quite motivated. Uh but she's fully committed to the idea of making it work on DS9. DS9 is a place that she's doubling down on as her home. This station is the closest thing I have to a home. This is Zial being fairly manipulative, though. Like, she wants to get mom and dad together. Right. And and she's, like, really twisting Kira's arm in order to make it work. It's interesting. Like, she's been such a such a naive and innocent yeah. character and now she is starting to develop a a a skill of manipulation and i wonder if it is to do with the fact that she's been spending so much time with master garrick yeah yeah i think so rubs off the rotoran meets up with a fleet of drain cleaner class cargo ships and in the mess hall we Weren't get those a... cardassian before but now they're yeah. like if they make them in green they're klingon but if they make them in burnt yeah. sienna they're, they're I cardassian kinda like i like the logic of how these ships look like they look like cargo containers bolted onto like a long skinny ship yeah the, there's a there's an equivalent to containerization of global yeah. shipping in the future yeah. so it would make sense that Different species would have similar ships. I like that a lot. Alexander should know better in this mess hall scene because I don't think you can ever trust a Klingon who's being nice and polite to you. <laughs> and that's that's what this bully Klingon Chitarg is. He's he's invited him over. He's sitting him down. Would you care for some grapak sauce? They're making fun of everything about Alexander except for the cake plate he's chosen to eat his meal off of. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't yeah. seem like a, a very good uh, piece of dinnerware to be to be using, it's especially a, if your food is is liable to crawl. It's a cake plate with walk handles. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Did you notice that Gabrielle Union was playing one of the Klingons that boards the ship with him? I did, and I thought it was great. That was so fun. A very young Gabrielle Union. I feel like they gave her the John Tesh part. Like she, they give her a lot of cutaways, like cutaway to expression, right? And cutaway to a couple of words. She doesn't do much in the episode at all. But I mean, she's got a I've lot of a, lines. It's just mostly got, like functionary, like she's working yeah. the helm or whatever. It there, it's work dialogue and not character dialogue. Yeah, was she famous at this point? I don't think she really was. No, that would surprise me. I thought this was one of those things that you get a certain level of fame and, you, and you you're say, a big like, fan of Star Trek and you want to... Call your agent and say... Yeah, make me a bit part in Star Trek is what I how I thought her story would go. She is like as famous as it gets mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to imagine a time before she was famous. Yeah, what was her level of fame in 97? She had done like an episode of Moesha, an episode of Family Matters... Two episodes of Saved by the Bell, colon, the new class. 
She didn't make the leap yet. She had, wow. she, she had done like some spots in some TV shows and this was one among many of those. And then 1999, she's all that. And yeah. then 10 Things I Hate About You and she is off to the races. Yeah. Forever and anon. That's great. Yeah. Good job by Gabrielle Union. Good job by uh, Star Trek for catching a rising star. Alexander doesn't just eat shit at this lunch. He fights back against his bully. Yeah, and, I mean, uh, if uh, if this guy had put a bunch of yamak sauce on his plate, it would it would be one thing. But he puts Gropak sauce on, and uh, and Alexander is just not going to tolerate that. You can't oversauce your Klingon meal. Yeah. It's just swimming in it. Alexander gets a slice in on Chitarik before being thrown into the buffet table in in an embarrassing fashion. Worf has been watching the entire thing also from some remove, but he stops the fight with a classic open-handed punch to Chitarik's face, and then his punishment is grounding them as if they're children. You will remain <laughs> in quarters until your next watch. I thought it was interesting, first of all, that the crew has totally cycled over from the people that were on uh, the Rotaran the last time we spent yeah. any time on this ship. Like, none of the familiar faces from that episode are back in this one. And also, when Alexander's being bullied, he's called Son of Worf in this, like, sing-song mocking tone. Like, this is... Yeah. Like, they like they got rid of the old crew from whom Worf had earned respect and replaced him with a new crew that, again, doesn't respect Worf. <laughs> it's so interesting how, like, your Klingon house is of such importance and, like, your family line is is crucial in, in your understanding of, like, from warrior to warrior, that's, that's so crucial in an understanding of them. Yeah. And yet, like... Alexander's family line is weaponized in that way. It is, it's a weakness yeah. for him. On the station, Zial starts, uh, starts opening up to Kira and Dukat about her ambitions as an artist. She doesn't just want to be tricky and manipulative. She also wants to make people feel things by uh, presenting them imagery and Ducat and Kira agree that these are great drawings, these very spare brushstroke uh, drawings that she's done. Junk, soon to be consigned to the trash heap of art history. And Kira wants to compare them to the artwork of some Bajoran Vedic, and Ducat wants to compare the artwork to some Cardassian artist. And that like provides an opportunity for Zial to say that like her great ambition with her art is to build unity and show that there aren't that many differences between different peoples. I suppose you could argue that all contemporary art is feces. I love Nana Visitor's take here because <laughs> Dukat is obviously like finds this he finds this noble of Zial and Kira's take, like her face says ridiculous. Yeah. And whatever face a person makes to purely communicate that that word that's what she does again with drafting off the stuff we were talking about with the way bajorans were really uncool and racist to zial yeah this is not necessarily casting the bajorans in the greatest light right like the cardassians are maybe like don't work in in good faith all the time and like we have our complaints about the way their society is set up and everything but at least like ducat can see an optimistic future <laughs> Like, Kira is willing to foreclose immediately on the idea of 
what's y'all's ambition is, which which is some cold shit. I'm kind of on Kira's side about this because, like, culture is so is of such importance to the Bajorans, especially like art culture and architecture. Like we've been told this season after season. Like it's it's one of it's one of the things that make Bajorans Bajorans, and it almost feels like the way that Jenna Bush is invited to be a host of the Today Show. Like there's a the idea that Zial is the daughter of a dictator uh-huh. who's who's done terrible things. There is, I think, a natural resistance to inviting someone related to that into your culture right. when your culture is of such importance to your people. Yeah, like, like it's the one don't... thing they have control over. They don't have control over the station or being occupied or the planet. Like they have control over what they give value to as as their cultural artifacts. And I, I think it's natural for her to resist this. Yeah. I mean, I think it's also it also speaks to Zial's like naivete, which yes, Jenna yeah. Bush seems to flow over with. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And like we don't want to be the people that like blame children for the crimes of their parents. Mm-hmm. But like there is like a judicial version of that and a and a cultural version of that. And yeah, you're kind of writing for the second one, I guess. Yeah, I think in this I'm context. Not- I might not be writing for it as much as I'm understanding of it. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> this is that first dinner back after Ducat comes back to the station and Zial like runs off to do something and we find Ducat and Kira sitting next to each other on a love seat, like talking about how great Zial is, and then it sort of washes over both of both of them like, fuck, she tricked us into being <laughs> friendly with each other. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And it seems as uncomfortable for Ducat as it does for Kira because he likes the he likes the times when he can kind of like force herself to supplicate to him. Yeah. And this is just them as peers, basically mother and father figures, just talking over the progress of their beloved daughter. It's the scene in the late nineties movie where the stepkids have conspired to to put their estranged parents together at a in a restaurant like that they made a reservation for under both of their names like it's that kind of thing are you trying to parent trap us no the rotoran has cloaked itself which means uh, the mission has begun this this protection of the of the cargo ships and uh wharf and martak discuss the situation he's pissed at wharf He's pissed that Worf has been so distant since Alexander arrived. He's like, I used to have a great first officer, man. And now I'm not even getting the reports I used to get. <laughs> so he like he sort of gives Worf, Worf the task of making Alexander battle ready. He hears about this fight in the mess hall and is like, well, that didn't go over well. I think uh, if Chitarg can get one over on him, what chance does Alexander have against a Jem Hadar? Are you going to fight the Jem Hadar for him as well? This kind of feels like a reversal of Soldiers of the Empire, where Worf is uh, being forced to confront the lack of readiness of one of his underlings by Martok rather than the other way around. Yeah, good call. And uh, I mean, like, Martok has, like, even more skin in the game in this context because he's like, hey, like if if you're in my family, then he kind of is too. And I think you need to make sure you solve this 
terrible parenting problem that you've made for yourself. And a lot of that is like pushing the the bird out of the nest stuff. Like don't intervene when he's getting in a fight in the mess hall because he needs to learn how to stand up for himself. It's hard because like Worf doesn't have the power to get Alexander out of the ball kicking machine, which is a place that Alexander is the entire episode, including here. Like they get called out to the bridge. It's It's weird. Like they're talking about training up Alexander and then the very next scene is another shot to the nuts for Alexander because he forgets to turn off the weapons readiness test and they totally false alarm this emergency situation. Yeah. <laughs> he kind of war games them. It's weird that Alexander is the is the tactical officer on the Rotoran just like his daddy on the Enterprise. Yeah. Except he is not good. Apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Yeah. Yeah, uh, the big takeaway from this scene is that he's the ship's fool. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of, Worf really bags on him for this, but that's kind of what Worf's role was in like the first couple of seasons of TNG. (laughs) It's true. Do you think it's like the narcissism of minor differences is the reason that they don't get along? I think so. see a lot of myself in the boy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, if Alexander fails to open doors in this episode, I think I think we'll know how close that apple has come to rest. Yeah. Back on the station, we're wrapping up a meeting where Gul Dukat is making the magnanimous gift of a number of industrial replicators to the Bajorans, uh, you know, as a demonstration of the of the new newfound peace between their people under the boot heel of the Dominion. Hand in hand, we'll march into a new era. Please clap. Thank you. Thank you. That will be all. And everybody claps and leaves the room, and he uh, he says, uh, "Kira, do you mind waiting waiting behind?" And uh, invites her to a a little celebration at his house uh, to do with Zial's paintings getting into some exhibition somewhere on Cardassia. Which, from a passage of time standpoint, like this kind of felt like it was just like the next day, like yeah. another excuse for Kira to come over. Then I was like, is this like a month later? Like, has, has like a lot of time transpired here? Yeah, hard to know what the passage of time was. But I think, crucially, it feels soon. It feels like Ducat's really laying it on thick with all of the invitations to hang. Yeah. So the first time she got invited to something at his house in this episode, it was an automatic no until she was talked into it. And this time it's an automatic yes. I'll be there, man. (laughs) Things aren't going well on the Rotoran W slash R slash T Alexander's melee fighting skills. I bet Worf wishes he had a holodeck loaded with those Skeletors because (laughs) when you just have a dojo and a Batleth, it's it's not great. And he, Worf, is not an encouraging teacher. Like, I feel like Worf was a better yoga instructor than he is a Batleth teacher in this scene. It's, uh... Is he not doing yoga anymore? I think that might be a big reason why he's he's got such a hair trigger with his temper. Oh, yeah. He needs to let some steam off. Yeah. He's Klingon yoga class. Worf hasn't journeyed to Shavasana in a long time. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, I mean, he's doing like classic bad teacher mistakes of mm-hmm. every time Alexander tries to, something, just pointing out what he's doing wrong yeah. and not reinforcing the things he's doing right. Yeah. But also, like, I think that the actor that played Alexander made really good choices here. Like, you talked about his voice being not super Klingon y. And I think that that's good. But also, the fact that he is a little whiny when he's fighting. <gasps> like, you totally forgive him for not being good at fighting, but also you're like, God, this guy sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know? Like, it's, it's, it's hard to root for him intentionally. So Mark Warden plays Alexander in this episode. And another quality about his performance is that he has resting about to cry face a lot too. Right. Yeah. And he, he looks a little like, he looks a little dewy, you know, he's got, they gave him kind of rosy cheeks. He doesn't look like a rugged warrior. Yeah. He looks like he's been uh, spending a lot of time at the beach. This is maybe the moment in the episode where I wanted to drop this conversational bomb into it. Is this Star Trek's gay son story? Because that was the vibe that I got here. Like, like I feel like a lot in the late 90s, you got the story of like, for example, Military Dad with the gay son, like the the Hallmark movie or whatever that where he's not a man's man. Yeah, and and that felt like what was going on here to an extent that like I wonder if they were unable to tell that story specifically and so they they told it the way they did here. Boy, I really hope that that's not what was behind this script because yeah. it's real retrograde thinking if that's the it case. It is. Like, oh, Worf wasn't wasn't tough on him enough as a boy and it made him all all femi or whatever. Right, but that like I'm putting myself back in 1997 and going, God, like is that yeah, there is that was the dark the dark center to this thing because there's a lot about both of these characters that kind of match up to that way of thinking. Yeah. Well, I, I'd say at best an unfortunate comparison can yeah. be made between those. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. You must be pleased. Now you could tell me what a failure I am as a Klingon. Things end in this scene pretty tearfully. And uh, before we know it, we're back on DS9 at Kira's where, I mean, <laughs> who's the guy you want showing up at your apartment more than anyone? It's, I mean, Damar is the guy that shows up <laughs> with this with this evening dress for Kira. Damar is being insulted and Kira is also being insulted. <laughs> yeah, everyone loses in this scene. It's great. Yeah. It's like she's been lulled into a sense of normalcy by Zial and she like is initially really excited by this dress, but then she like it washes over her when she's looking at it in the mirror and she throws it on the ground <laughs> in disgust. Happy birthday to the ground. This really feels like a Hitler secretary moment. You know, like you get used to the many benefits of being close to evil. I don't understand. How could you be a a secretary to a medication, Adam? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I don't know. Now we're mixing metaphors, aren't we? (laughs) The show doesn't make any sense. You know, what's interesting about this scene and the way it's blocked is that Kira goes along with everything until she looks at herself in the mirror. 
And this is something that's happened to Kira over time throughout many episodes. It takes her seeing herself to kind of snap out of of the mental state she's in and recognize the truth of her circumstance. And the same happens here. Yeah. It's a moment that made me wonder if any thought was given to the idea of having Kira choose to play this moment with a little bit more deception. Because mm-hmm. she immediately storms into Gul Dukat's quarters and starts flipping him a ton of shit about this idea. You don't like the dress. The dress is fine. I don't like you. And... Like, if you're trying to start a covert resistance movement and the head of the station is buddying up to you like this, it it seems like there would be some some benefit in having him think that his overtures are working. Yeah, she's not considering playing this three-dimensionally, and that's unfortunate. I, I, I think there are many benefits to allowing this to play out if you're her, but... But she can't turn that corner in her mind. And so she drops the dress off at Ducat's apartment, where we realize that Ducat is a re-gifter when he gives that same dress to his daughter, <laughs> which is sort of creepy as fuck, right? right? Like, he clearly is attracted to Kira, bought yeah. a dress that emphasizes the things that makes her attractive to him, and now... His daughter gets to wear it. Like, if Trump seemed like the kind of person who would ever give anyone anything, this is the kind yeah. of thing he would do. If Ducat was a little more like Larry David, I was I was expect Like, there's so much about Ducat's attitude in this entire episode that is very, like, bumbling and Larry David-like uh-huh. that I expected when Kira came in and dropped the dress at his feet for him to be like, no good? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, what Kira does is sort of, she does the breakup that a person does to someone that they become close to socially at work, and she flips the switch back to work only as their relationship status. Right. She kind of breaks up with him. Indeed she does. Morn. Morn. Sweet. Morn. 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 You need everybody? Morn. Stop. Have a time. On the Rutaran Wharf's attempts to get through to Alexander haven't worked that well. So Martok is going to make an attempt and he comes into Alexander practicing Batleth badly. (laughs) (laughs) This is something you see a lot in like fantasy movies and stuff where if the, if the swordsman sucks, you compliment the blade. (laughs) (laughs) Like, Oh yeah. Well balanced. Sure. Uh, it, I just pulled it off the wall of this dojo, so I don't think I could take any credit for that, but thanks. That's great. What I didn't like about Alexander in this scene is that he's clearly a loud workouter, and I fucking hate that at any gym. <laughs> you don't have to do that. No. That's a choice. Yeah. Take your Monica Sellis grunts and get the fuck out of here. Yeah. Martok, though, cuts to the chase, right? Uh, He's going to get answers that he wasn't able to get out of Worf. And he's direct. He asks Alexander why he's there. And when Alexander can't answer the question, he tells him he's going to transfer him to another ship. Yeah. I mean, Martok has basically all the same concerns as Worf, but because he's not blood related to Alexander, can press these issues without losing his fucking cool right right and uh and i thought that that was actually really good like well observed part of the episode that's so too and uh, the deal that they make is alexander just wants to get a chance to prove himself and martok is like yeah that has come and gone <laughs> so 
you're going to be uh, you're going to be reassigned to one of the ships we are escorting. <laughs> it's hard to know what Alexander is thinking when he challenges Worf to a knife fight later because it's clear that he's pissed about being sent away again, but all the challenge does is just get Worf's attention. Like the scene is so weird to me. Like I love the I love starting a scene with a knife being stabbed into a table. Like that's great. Yeah. If you were challenged anyone else in that manner, you would be dead right now. And he's clearly upset about being sent away, but is he trying to not be sent away? Is he trying to have Worf kill him ritualistically here? I think that the thing with his character is that he just doesn't see a path to an identity, an adulthood that he can abide, that it doesn't go through living his life as a warrior because that's all he's ever been told. And he basically feels like he needs to do this or die trying because... Otherwise, he'll never be able to find happiness. Yeah. And uh, that's some fucked up shit that Worf put on him. Yeah, it's true. Something that Kalar was really trying to shield him from, too. There's a repetition in this episode of these kinds of interactions. Like, they keep trying to come to some sort of understanding of each other, and they never do. Yeah. So they get into this space fight with some Jem'Hadar who attack the convoy. And this is an extremely laconic fight where they're like, it it really felt like they stretched this for time. Like, oh shit, we actually have like four minutes of episode left and we really only wrote like two minutes of fight scene. Yeah. So, and we we only have 15 seconds of model effects to use. So let's just add like some stuff of people having conversations on the bridge while the fight is going on. His aft shields are down to 25, no, 20%. And he's losing anti-protons from his starboard nacelle. And, you know, like there's some there's some exciting model work and, uh, and stuff, but mostly it's as the climax to the episode, it left a lot to be desired, in my opinion. Yeah, the battle scene's lack of girders was a frustration to me. I was I was looking to the ceiling here Looking yeah. for that girder that was finally going to take Alexander out. Where is Chekhov's girder? Yeah. Yeah, but instead of a girder, what we get is the news of a plasma leak that needs fixing. And this is the, this is the scene in the submarine film where uh, you send someone you love to go repair the thing in your stead. And Chetard goes with him. And this is the point in the episode where I was like, RSVP Alexander. I mean, either the plasma leak's going to take him out or Chitarg is. And it's none of those things. It's Alexander locked the door behind himself to deal with this leak, I guess, presumably, and not risk the other people. So he did an act of genuine valor and bravery, and he gets like the hand on the shoulder from Worf. But what do you make of everyone laughing at him? Like, I thought but the every, yeah. implication was that he fucked up and accidentally tripped the the lockdown button. I think that they continue to believe that it was an accident and oh, Worf okay. knows that it wasn't. That but, it was Valor. Okay. But it's a weird scene. Like, it's like... The ambiguity of it doesn't yeah. serve it. Yeah. Yeah. I think if you cut the laughter bit, it just plays as like Alexander did the thing he was saying he was going to do. He uh, he he did a valorous thing. I mean, here's my punch up. The the emergency doors open 
Alexander's on the floor with a bat left through his back. We we cut to Chitarg and he just shrugs his shoulders like, huh? <laughs> what are you going to do? <laughs> how did that happen? <laughs> uh, how about this punch up? He, uh, they, uh, they press the button and the doors open and just a slurry of Alexander <laughs> runs out because he's been plasmid to death. <laughs> The pink blood from Star Trek Six. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a he. Uh, he needs the many them. You really want to do this here now? Okay, okay, let's do it. Do it. Back on DS Nine, Zial finds Kira uh, walking in a corridor, and it's like, "Hey, why did you flake out on that party? Really missed you there. You should have seen the dress I was wearing. I mean, it was <laughs> very revealing. I mean, not the Demar sort of- would not stop hitting on me." <laughs> Yeah, uh, but Kira makes it pretty clear that uh, she's not going to be the type that socializes with Dukat anymore. She puts her foot down. It's not happening. And yeah. Zial may not understand it, but she accepts it, I think. Please don't ask me to choose between you. I'm not. The button on the episode is sort of the uh, extended edition of the Klingon house joining ceremony. And uh, this is... Uh, Alexander Roshenko being inducted into the August house that is House Martok. You can tell that you're on a good ship and you're being inducted into a good house when uh, they make the blood dressing table side like this. <laughs> you pay a little extra for it when you're initiated into House Martok, but it, I mean, it makes the whole, it makes it into a ceremony that's nice. Yeah, I love that. You get the fresh Parmesan and- uh, yeah. It's a little old-fashioned, but it's like, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, I fucking love this shit. Yeah, real, like, white tablecloth treatment there. Nice yeah. job, Martok. Did you like the episode, Adam? It's weird that we were promised an Alexander episode, but what it really was was a Worf episode, right? Yeah, I mean, one cannot exist without the other. This ceremony at the end, I think, is... It's a thing that happens to these characters, but I don't feel like any of these characters have changed from the beginning of it to the end. Do you? And in that no. way, I feel a little unsatisfied by what happened here, this ep. And I think maybe that's as good as I could articulate it. It feels like no one grew or changed from, from this. I mean, Kira is the only one that went through any change as a character in her realization. But for something we were promised, I don't think it, it paid off in any way, the Worf and Alexander story. And it made me dislike Worf even more. I mean, kill Alexander this episode is what I say. Like, drop their girder on him. If, if, if you're going to keep teasing out this father-son taffy of <laughs> of them being estranged how many different times and ways can we see their estrangement right. i think i'm it's a like, little bored by it at this point it's two series of television that don't seem to have their heart in actually telling this story 
in an interesting way. Fucking shock Worf into into feeling something for Alexander by killing him. Like make him die tragically and bad and and give us like some pathos to Worf, which has been like a major part of his character throughout his life. Like the tragedy of him being without a house, the tragedy of being an orphan, the tragedy of being a regretful father who who never has a chance to make it right with his son. Like go back to that because at this point I don't feel Feel sorry for Worf at all, and I feel like the show wants you to, and it's it's incapable of making me feel that way. Yeah, it's. Uh, I I also think that the script is just very like it feels very mathematical. Like yeah. the Kira gets invited to dinner, doesn't want to go, gets talked into it, goes, likes it, then feels bad. Kira does want to go to dinner, gets talked out of going to dinner, doesn't go to dinner. Yeah, like it, it's just it's like. It's like the same story told two times with one bit flipped in each scene. Yeah, yeah. And I just, uh, yeah, it, it it left me feeling a little empty. And uh, yeah, I think that overall, just like the climactic battle scene was kind of badly done. And the stakes of Alexander leaving the bridge and then getting laughed at later were like confusing and weird and not like... Like, like that's a that's one of those moments that in a submarine film is the emotions are like almost operatic in scale when when you're sealing somebody into the compartment and it's like oh yeah like we forgot to show the part of sealing into the compartment or explain satisfactorily what it was even right (laughs) like Steve Zahn died man like let's fucking focus on that I'm trying to imagine if the show had done that if we could ever come out on the side of of judging it as tropey if they actually had. But I don't think so. I think that's something that Star Trek does really well is kill a character in a submarine fashion. Yeah. And I think I would have been into it. Yeah. If they had. You know what I'm into, Adam, is our priority one message inbox. Do you want to see if we've got anything in there? I bet you're into it. You look like (laughs) you're into it. You're wearing the the colored handkerchief out of your back pocket that that has a bunch of P1s on it. <laughs> you want to be P1, Don. That's, that's what the color of your hanky says. I'm a P1 freak. Yeah. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Then our first priority one message of two promotional messages here. Is, is from stopspying.org. And uh, here's the copy for it. Ever worry we're turning into the mirror universe? Scared that <laughs> technology like facial recognition will make us say RSVP to civil rights? You're not alone. The Surveillance Technology Oversight Project was founded by friends of DeSoto who believe new technology should oh. promote the values of Starfleet, not create our own Tal Shiar. Learn more and maybe pitch in a few scarves at www.stopspying.org. That's www.stopspying.org and help us before surveillance destroys all privacy everywhere. <laughs> Boy, you can really tell that the people behind stopspying.org are friends of DeSoto. That is, uh, that's copy we could have written ourselves. It's great. Yeah, I don't think we could have because we're not smart enough to write it that good. <laughs> yeah, well done. Yeah, I mean, that's a. I'm not worried that we're turning into the mirror universe. I'm worried that we're already there, and uh, I'm 
I'm really glad that, like... I haven't been issued my leather cat suit. That's why I don't think we're in the mirror universe quite yet. Oh, it's uh, it's on the way. It came to the uh, PO box uh, okay. and I forwarded yours on to you. Oh, thanks. Thanks. Um, I gotta, I yeah, gotta I mean, powder my legs before I pull that thing on. Yeah, this stuff, StopSpying.org is fighting, is like really scary stuff. Yeah. And uh, I am really glad that there are people out there picking these fights. They're like suing the MTA for using facial recognition and stuff. Yeah. Like, the, like this is, like these are big important fights that are super important right now because, yeah. you know, this is the kind of thing where if it's adopted without any complaint off the bat, it's like, it much harder gets harder and harder to unring that bell yeah going forward that's well put i'm reading that the surveillance technology oversight project is a 501c3 nonprofit, which means that if your employer does uh gift matching that you can you can double your effect if you were to give to them so that's that's great news that's awesome uh well i really encourage the friends of DeSoto to check out stopspying.org. Yeah, uh, they threw us some scarves uh, for their promotional message, so uh, let's throw some right back. We have another promotional message, and this one is in scare quotes <laughs> in mm. the email that uh, Danny Baruela sent to us. So uh, uh, the word promotional appears to be a, a stretch here, but uh, I'll go ahead and read it. Two blonde and marbles from Shimoda in the crowd at your second wedding. Message. No star date on this one, as it's after midnight and I'm very drunk. Typing is hard. As alluded to in the P1 purchased at your real wedding, the Betazoid wedding has finally happening. We are drunk, naked, standing around a fire pit in the rain. The RA is handcuffing you together, and everyone is chanting, Consummate! Rage! We are not a cult. On, on. I think they overpaid for a personal message, Ben. And uh, that's what happens when you're drunk. You, you click the wrong button. And the call to action is if you drunkenly promise friends at their ugh slash hash slash betazoid wedding, you'll buy them a P1. Do it then, not when they're in the Antipodes. Yeah, you can't do it in the Antipodes. Everyone knows that. <laughs> wow. That was a real... <laughs> I feel like we went on a real journey with that one. I think so, too. I don't think that you could sober write something as drunk-sounding as that is. Yeah. <laughs> the one way both of those messages were similar is that uh, they both doubled their support of The Greatest Generation. You can support The Greatest Generation by going to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron where personal messages are $100 and commercial messages like these are $200 and they really do a lot for continuing the ongoing production of this show. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool 
And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey Adam. What's that Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda. A drunk Shimoda was hard for me to find this episode. I think the person acting the most inexplicably might be Jake. <laughs> what is he doing? I, you know what? Here's the thing. If they wrote Jake as more someone who needs friends in a place that he has none and less uh, cub reporter Jake Sisko, I think I might understand his motivations a little more. 
you know? Yeah. He's got to feel so isolated there, and we don't get even a whiff of that as a part of his character. I think by three episodes into the season, they should have given us a real exploration of that because he's got, he's maybe more up against it than anyone in this universe right now. And yet I never feel like he's sad or isolated or missing his dad or any number of other ways a person could feel when they've been basically marooned. Yeah. So I wonder if we're going to get that angle to his character. It seems like some meat on the bone there. Yeah. What about you, Ben? I am going to give my drink Shimoda to the character or characters that are obviously having the most fun in this episode, and that is the Klingon High Command, because it is revealed fairly late in the episode that one of the cargo ships that they're escorting is called the Partok, which means somebody in the Klingon High Command thought it would be fun to send Martok to defend the Partok. Oh, yeah. They're having fun over there. They're just having fun. They're doing bits over there in the Klingon High Command. That's great. That's great. Klingon High Council, they're just like us. <laughs> That's what I love about them. Yeah. Yeah, well, today's episode was not one that we loved. Maybe we'll get something we like a little better uh, for episode four. What are we watching for the next episode, Ben, and how will we watch it? Well, why don't you head over to gach.biz slash game and fire up the game of buttholes. The Will of the Prophets. I'll do that right now. Well, I tell you about season six, episode four, Behind the Lines. While Cisco's promotion takes him away from the Defiant, Odo's loyalties are tested by the arrival of a fellow shapeshifter. How about that? All right. Sounds interesting. Well, uh, what may interest those who follow along with us at our Will of the Prophets game is that our runabout is currently on square 53, where one square ahead is a Quark's Bar episode, and a few squares after that is a looking at each other during. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. Let's see if we hit either of those. Did I win? Ben, I have rolled a four, which has hopped us over anything that could do anything to our show to disrupt it. Oh, wow. We have been given (laughs) the gift of a regular old episode, and uh, (laughs) believe me when I say it is a gift. Yeah. Pretty pretty hard to imagine what a looking at each other during would have done to us uh, at this moment in time. I mean, it's not, it's not us I'm worried about. It's your marriage. I, I mean, when this would have really suffered. When this episode comes out, I'll, I'll likely be driving down the coast with my dog riding shotgun. Yeah. So kind of a lot happening. Big stuff. But the show goes on, that's for sure. Yeah. Nothing's going to stop I'm excited about that. a regular episode. Me too. I, I like them. Yeah. They're my favorite kind, TBH. I know I'm weird to say this, but I kind of like them. <laughs> I know. <laughs> All right. Well, that'll be next week. In the meantime, we got to thank all the friends of DeSoto who support the show. You know, the Max Fun Drive is coming up in a couple of weeks as of the release of this episode. Wow. And we are getting all our ducks in a row to have a a great big Max Fun Drive. I'm really, really excited about it. So uh, if you don't currently support the show in a couple of weeks, it is time to right that wrong. And if you do support the show and you got a little extra space in the budget, uh, get ready to increase your support. 
It's going to be a lot of great, uh, great incentive gifts. And I mean, it's changed our lives and we really, really appreciate all of the support from all of you guys. Others who support the show include people like Bill Tilly. You can find him at Bill Tilly 1973 on Twitter and a number of other places where he keeps his comedy trading cards made about every episode we do. Adam Ragusea is responsible for the great music you hear on the show, working off of the source material created by Dark Materia. Indeed. And check out all the other shows on Max Fun. There's some really fucking fantastic podcasts on there. And, you know, go ahead and uh, check out uh, all the Earwolf podcasts also. And Gimlet. All the, yeah, I mean, uh, the, the iHeartRadio podcasts. Yeah. Like, like I just love big Forever companies. Forever Dog, HeadGum, yeah. they are all mm. fabulous. Every single podcast is good. <laughs> with that, we'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine and an episode of The Greatest Generation Deep Space Nine. That is probably going to involve some gold commingling, right? Mm. Like Odo is going to be wearing his gold hanky at the back of his pocket. <laughs> Bashir's going to be jealous. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.